And uh, as you're, you're sitting, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians, uh, New Testament letter. Uh, and uh, this morning, we're beginning a new series as we're beginning a new year. And uh, as we're, so it's, it's a great time, by the way, to be jumping in if you're new to Anthem. It's a great time. And I, I think also because, you know, as we, uh, you know, as we're preparing sermons and whatnot, uh, we do so obviously well in advance. And one thing that has struck me this week as, again, as things began on Wednesday, especially being amplified, uh, was just how much, even though uh, there are the theme of kind of this sermon series and even this week, uh, just how uh, applicable it is to what's going on right now. And so uh, one of the things, uh, you know, obviously as, as things happen Wednesday, uh, doing a lot of thinking, and so this morning I'll be kind of addressing uh, a little bit what's going on uh, culturally, but at the same time, we'll be, uh, it'll be the same theme that would have been this morning anyways. But one of the things, especially as Wednesday uh, began, I found myself uh, wanting to escape. Uh, I found myself honestly just wanting to shut it down, shut it off, right, turn things off. And, and in some ways, obviously, there's a healthy amount of, of not just binging on data and listening to debates all day long, but also uh, part of what it was was I realized you really, we can't. Um, in many ways, because many of the things that are happening, they're legitimate uh, issues that need to be resolved, legitimate issues that need to be addressed, legitimate pains, legitimate fears, legitimate concerns. And the part of obviously the issue is that now I think what we're realizing is that there are very strong differences uh, with different visions of what it looks like to move forward as a nation, what it looks like to, and, well, and those visions are going to contend. They, they are going to contend uh, for what it looks like going forward. And so again, the, the question for me as this was happening, because I, I turned to someone, I turned to my wife uh, Wednesday night, and I was like, you know, it's like 2021, you may want to pace yourself, right? It's like, we just got done with 2020, and it's like, we're all, like, is it really this bad this fast? And, and I think in the midst of it, the question that keeps coming up for me is, what, what, do we, what are we to do? How, how are we, you could also say, how are we to be? What are we as a church, what are we as Christians, how should we be responding in this moment? And it reminded me this, just the dynamic that's swirling around us in the world right now. It reminded me of a time when I was in, it was like junior high, I think seventh grade, and my mom uh, had just moved in with this new boyfriend, and it was a very abusive relationship. And in this, just because of the relationship, it was just constant screaming and constant fighting. It was very much a house divided, very unhealthy place to be. And, and so I remember I went next door to one of the apartments next door, and uh, in this apartment, there was this gal, this lady named Carol. Carol was an older lady, and, and Carol was very sweet, and she just, she, told, she saw this, and she took my brother and I aside, and she said, listen, whenever you need to get away, whenever you need a place just of peace, when you just need to collect your thoughts, when you need to just process, you need to talk, my home is always open to you. And, and so, and in fact, actually, eventually, she gave my brother and I a key to her house. So if she wasn't there, we could just go in and we could make ourselves at home. And, and I'll tell you, Carol's house, I, I kind of hate to say this, but it was nothing special. In fact, Carol was actually kind of a hoarder. Um, it was kind of a mess in her house. She wasn't a very good cook, uh, but she was just, just poured out love and grace on us. And, and she just had this joy, which actually I, I came to find was because she was a Christian. She was actually very pivotal in me coming to Christ. But in the midst of that time, 
I found that again and again, she was someone who invited me into her home, who created this place in the midst of this housing development that we lived in. That that was a place, a refuge. And and I remember one day I went in there and I just put my feet up on the couch and I I remember saying, this just feels like heaven. Because in comparison to my home, it was just heaven, a taste of heaven. And the reason why I share that this morning is because I think that that dovetails very well with exactly what's going on in our culture and exactly why Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. You see, because in in the midst of a nation divided, in in the midst of, 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 of a world that was in chaos, Paul was saying, you, the church, are to be a place of refuge. Uh, The term that we'll use for this throughout today, throughout the series, is that we are called to be a colony of heaven. And that's very specific because, see, Philippi, the church that Philippians was written to, was actually a colony of Rome. They they were a colony of Rome, which meant that I'll go into more details about this and break it down, give some context, but, but they essentially identified with Rome. And what Paul knew for the church was the danger, was that they would only see themselves as a Roman colony, and they would miss the fact that their true identity, their true joy, their true, the true reality for them was that they were actually in Christ, that they were a colony of heaven within Rome and within this city. And I believe that right now, that, and it was the same way, what I'm saying is for Carol and her house that she had created a space where it was like a colony of heaven in the midst of this place where we lived. We are called to the same thing as the church. And not only, I should say, because this is where the illustration breaks down, not only to be a colony of heaven where we just kind of escape from the world, but also where we're called to be a colony of heaven so that we would be light going out into the world as well. And so what we're going to look at today and in this series is we're going to look at what does it mean to, in this moment, this cultural moment, which, by the way, we've been saying since all this stuff has been happening culturally over the summer, I want, I want to just say it again and impress it upon you. Anthem. God has placed us in this city, in this nation, at this time, for a reason. We are placed here for a reason, for his purposes. And God wants to refine us, and God wants to use us, and to send us, and and to use us to be a colony of heaven in the midst of this city, in the midst of our world. And so uh, in the midst of this series, we're going to be getting a clear and clear picture of what that looks like in order to put, the reason why he wants us to be this is so that we can put Jesus on display. And this letter is essentially almost a manuscript for, or a, uh, what do you want to call it, like a, uh, yeah, maybe a manuscript, but a guide for discipleship and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it starts, as we'll start today, with identifying ourselves as a colony of heaven. And what that looks like is, first we're going to look at, it means it's where joy is found, It means we are to be where grace is found and then where love is found. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you in the midst of everything going on in our world. And and Lord, we we want, Lord, to follow you faithfully. Lord, in the midst of of the pain, confusion, all the emotions, Lord, we, we want to. We want to, as Paul will say, we want to be so filled with the love of Christ that we we abound with love that we abound with humility, that we abound with discernment, that we abound with, with doing justice and mercy and humbly walking with you. Lord, we want to be a city on a hill. Lord, we want to be light. 
Lord, we first have to, you first have to do that work in our souls. And so, Lord, I, I ask that this morning as we look at this text, Lord, that you would just direct our hearts in the way that I can't, in the way that we can't with our intellects as we read it, but only your spirit can. That as we dive into your word, Lord, that you would guide our hearts by your spirit. You convict where conviction needs to be found, that you would heal and bind up where healing and binding up needs to be found, that you would bring peace. Whatever it is, Lord, do the work that you will do through your word and make us a colony of heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when uh, first, where joy is found, a colony of heaven is where joy is found. Look at, again, Philippians 1, obviously chapter 1, verse 1, first verse of the book. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul, again, is writing this to uh, the church at Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia, kind of ancient Greece. And this is around like 60 AD. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we just finished a series in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, if you remember uh, in Acts 16, we read about when Paul planted the church there. It was actually the first church in Europe that was, uh, in Europe that was uh, planted. And, uh, and this letter probably comes about 12 years after that. So probably that was about 48 B, uh, AD. This is about 60 AD. And uh, a few things about Philippi, because it was an interesting city. It's actually named for uh, Philip of Macedonia, uh, Alexander the Great's father. Okay, so Alexander the Great, the greatest conqueror in the ancient world, right? And his father, who actually was a great general who set him up. Alexander the Great didn't just like appear out of a vacuum. His dad was one of, up until that point, was the great general of Macedonia. And so they named this city after his father, who was a great general. And then uh, they also, Philippi was the site of the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC. So uh, this was a city where, if you know, like Mark, uh, the whole Julius Caesar and like Mark, Mark Anthony, not the singer, right? But Mark, you know, in the ancient world, there was like that whole thing, and then all of great, like they're warring against one another, all these kingdoms. Well, this was the battle that was the final battle that kind of united Rome, okay, and Greece and whatnot, and so kind of settled it. And so, in other words, Philippi is essentially the equivalent of Gettysburg for us. Right? Like it's filled with all these statues and relics of the past, reminding them of the glories of the past. It's highly, highly, highly patriotic. And, and, and even more, because of this, then eventually Caesar would make uh, Philippi a colony of Rome, as I said before. And by becoming a colony of Rome, it meant that it would be resettled with uh, retired Roman soldiers, that it was exempt from taxes that it gave landowning rights to the people who lived there, which was actually very rare in the ancient world. They were situated in a region with fertile soil, so they had agricultural abundance. They had plenty of food, again, rare in the ancient world. And then also it was situated on the Ignatian Road. And this road was kind of like the main highway in that part of the world. And so, in other words, all of the goods passed through there. It was very, very good for business. In other words, living in Philippi was a very, very comfortable place to live. It was a very wealthy place, but also it was a highly uh, nationalistic, patri patriotic place to live. And so what Paul knows when he's writing to the church at Philippi is he knows that this church, it's so easy to believe when you have every, it seems like you have everything you need, that that's actually enough. That in other words, being a colony of Rome was all they needed for their lives to be satisfied, for their souls to be satisfied. But what Paul knew was that that was not true. He knew it was not true, and he knew it was not true because when they went into Philippi in the first place, even those for whom the system was working 
it wasn't enough for them. Briefly, if you remember in Acts 16, when the gospel first goes to Philippi, the first character that we encounter there is a lady named Lydia. And Lydia, by ancient standard, it's really, she's an amazing character because somehow Lydia, it seems to be a single woman who is running her own textile business. And she's running her own textile business that's kind of with the wealthy of the city and whatnot because, uh, because those would be the people who could buy the textiles and whatnot. And it seems to be that she's buying or making very, very high-end textiles. And so because of this, Lydia is actually very, is financially independent. She, she's financially independent. She has great freedom. She has high standing in the city, and which was extremely rare in the ancient world. For a single woman to have that is just you would think she's got it all. But what Paul finds her doing is every day she's at the place of prayer, it says. In other words, in the midst of having all the success, all the security, really unfathomable levels of that in her world, it still wasn't enough, and she was searching. She was searching for something more. And what you see is that as soon as she hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and she encounters Christ, she finally finds the true freedom and the true security and the true meaning that she was actually looking for. Next character that we meet then in the church is uh, the Philippian jailer. If you remember, uh, Paul and Bar- or Silas at that point, they healed a uh, demonically possessed girl. And it's kind of a fun scene, what goes down there. And they heal her, and as a thank you, the city throws them in jail. And so they get thrown in the jail, and then when they're in jail, then this jailer in the middle of the night, God releases them and frees them through this earthquake. And as they're running out, this jailer who sees them, he freaks out and he, he gets ready to kill himself. And so what's interesting about the jailer is that probably this jailer's retired military. He's someone who had been very, very faithful to his nation, somebody who had probably been successful to, especially to have lived that long, to retire as a warrior. And so he was, he loved his nation, he'd been faithful to his nation, but then at this point, as soon as he failed his nation, he lost it all. And he loses it to such an extent that he's ready to kill himself. Because he knows whatever meaning he had, whatever sense of self he had, what, something had happened that he had completely lost the will to live. In other words, he had built his, his sense of self, his identity, and who he was as a warrior, who he was as a Roman. And the moment he lost that, his life was no longer worth living. But in Jesus Christ, Paul shares the gospel with him. He finds a meaning that is actually worth dying for. And not only does he find a meaning, but he also, this man who holds the keys to freedom, who actually did not realize until that moment that his soul was in shackles, found freedom. And then goes and tells his family and whatnot, even when facing death for doing so. You see, what Paul found when he went to Philippi was the, I, the, the thing that is so easy to believe and is timeless. Is it so easy to believe that because we are a colony of Rome, we have everything we need, or in our day, because we're a colony, we, where do we belong? Is it Missouri? Is it Columbia? Is it America? It's so easy to believe that that's the thing that will actually satisfy us, give us security, and give us the comfort and the meaning that we long for. But see, what Paul says here And what he's driving out here is that there's actually something deeper. 
See, yes, we live here. Geographically, you're located somewhere. But he says, do you realize, though, this is the thing he wants us to see. Do you realize, though, that every believer throughout time, while we may be rooted somewhere here in this world and we have to act where God has placed us geographically and in time, but at the same time, do you realize you have an even deeper location? We actually read it, and, and it's so easy to miss. Because what Paul does in verse 1, he does in almost every one of his letters. And he phrases his like this. You are in Christ at Colossae, Colossians. You are in Christ at Ephesus, Ephesians. You are in Christ at Corinth, Corinthians. You are in Christ at Philippi. Why does Paul say that? Because what he's saying is, you may be located at Philippi. You may be geographically placed there right now. You are at a place that God has placed you for a purpose. But don't fact that you are placed there to eclipse and crowd out where you are truly located, which is in Christ. Believer, do you realize that you are in Christ? That is your location. It's not your street address. It's not Columbia. It's not America. It's not 2021. Your your ultimate, truest, better location and your destination is you are in Jesus Christ. And that matters because what Paul is saying is he's saying, do not build your sense of self, your sense of security, your sense of meaning, your sense of freedom, where you merely are located temporarily. Don't find your sense of righteousness there. Don't find yourself of good, your sense of goodness there. He says, find it in Christ. Because here's the thing, and I think this is why, and let me just say, I, I always... I hope you know this hearing me, but I like to say it so because I, I need to hear this as well as you. That's what I'm saying. I need to hear this. I'm preaching at myself as much as to you guys. And what I've been wrestling with is why is my soul so upset within me? Why does it feel like everything is moving, shaking, toppling when these things happen? And it's because there is something deep within me that roots myself not in Christ, but in whatever it is that is the colony of Rome in my life. You see, one of the, uh, one of the realities of what's happening right now is I think this is really hitting us, and this is why we're, we feel so many emotions with what's going on in our, in our country. And I, I just want to say again, there, there are many different viewpoints. One of the difficult things, honestly, in the midst of this is it seems like every week it's like a pendulum swing. Now this side, now, now this, and this. And you're trying to navigate it faithfully. So what I'm doing here, in other words, I'm saying this is what I know. Because <laughs> there are a lot of things I think, a lot of places where I'm sympathetic on both, both sides, you could say. But here's what we do know. Things feel shaky because of the fact that we have begun, like the Philippian jailer, to build our identity in something that's not going to last. And, and I think that what's, what's happening right now is, and, and again, this is happening in my own soul, is I feel that right now the ground is constantly moving. I, I was reading recent, uh, over break, I got a biography of a person from the late 19th century, and during that time in Europe and going into the Netherlands, there was a lot of, and there's profound 
parallels culturally, cross currents, what are happening, they're producing almost similar effects, and it's, it's mind-blowing. I won't go into that rabbit trail right now, but just had to say that. But with these things are happening, and this historian described what, was, what it felt like at that point to live in this nation at that point, not this nation, the European nation. He said, it feels like this. It feels like the ground is constantly moving beneath you. The ground is constantly moving beneath you. And here's the thing, what Paul said already 2,000 years ago, if you build your life and your sense of self and identity and freedom, liberty, whatever it is that you're building on, if you build it on something like a nation that will not last, it will eventually teeter, it will eventually totter, it will eventually move. And here's the thing, Christian, I don't think the ground is going to stop moving anytime soon. And if we as believers begin to continue to try to root ourselves on this ground, what's going to happen is as it's moving, we're going to be thrown all over. We're going to end up being thrown completely out of the faith. We're going to be completely uh, doing things, reacting in ways that are just like flailing, trying to find something to give us the security that it never, ever, ever could provide. And so what Paul is saying to us today and what I want you to hear is please hear this. Root your identity in Christ. And I know from there, there are lots of things to debate, lots of legitimate things to debate heatedly, I would say. But we as believers have to start there or else we will not move out into the world with the joy that is secure and we'll begin trying to grab it in places that we can't find it. We as a colony of heaven are to be a place of joy because joy is found alone in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am at the Father's right hand and at the Father's right hand is joy forevermore, Psalm 1611. And Jesus sits at the Father's right hand. He says, if you have life in me, then you have joy in me. And it cannot be taken away from you because I will not teeter, I will not totter, I will not fail you. And also from that, to come to Christ means you must come humbly. Which means that you won't find your identity in anything but the fact that I am a sinner. When the world says, these different perspectives say, look at you. Whatever the extremes are, I almost don't want to start listing them because then it just gets us all fired up in the room. But they start saying, look at you, you're this, you're this, you're this. And you know what I'm talking about, the echo chamber right now of just constant condemnation. In the midst of it, what Paul is saying, in the midst of it, it's so easy to take up arms and say, no, I'm not. What Paul says in the midst of it, he says, no, 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 what you're able to do is you're saying, maybe there are things in me that are broken, that are fallen, in the midst of it, Christ is the only voice right now that every cult voice in our culture right now will say, so you are damned if you're guilty. The biggest problem with the narrative right now in our culture that we're starting to live out is that none of the sides give any redemption. One king gives you redemption, and he died to give it to you. And he says, if you will come to me, you can not only not be damned, but you can find joy. Colony of Heaven is a place where they build their lives on Jesus and find joy. And then when they step out of this colony, 
joy abounds. Second thing, where joy is found, then where grace is found. Paul says, uh, in order to be a colony of heaven, we must be a people who display the grace that we've been given. Not just the joy that we've been given, but also the grace we've been given. It's interesting, Paul opens up, when he gets to verse 3, by saying all these positive things. Let me read it. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. So Paul's really excited because of what God's doing in you guys. And then what's interesting, though, is verse 7 is he seems to almost qualify it, or like he, it's almost like he has to validate what he just said. Because actually in the Greek, there's almost this, like verse 7 begins, begins with almost like indeed. Because he says, he says all these good things. He goes, indeed, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. It's almost as if Paul is like, like imagine the Philippians get the letter and they're like, oh, he's saying good things about us. And everyone's like, he shouldn't be saying good things about us. And he's like, hey, indeed, it's good that I feel good things about you because they know everything is not perfect in the church. They know that they have a mess in their home. They know that they're, they're, they, they are not just hitting it out of the ballpark. That if they're going to be a colony of heaven, then the idea is, oh, are we going to be, do we have to be a utopia here in order to be a colony of heaven? By the way, utopia comes from the word for nowhere. I don't know if you knew that. It doesn't exist. And what Paul is saying is no, 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 no. I, I, you're not supposed to be some kind of utopia. You're not, the idea is that you have to just get it all together, and then once you get it all together, then you can be a colony of heaven. The idea is that the whole thing needs to be infused with grace. That when you come into this body, you realize that the reason why I'm here is not because I've done it all right, because what Paul's going to say is you've, he's going to talk about massive division that's in this church. He, he's going to, and also imagine that Paul, think about our day and how this would play out, that Paul's in prison, in chains, and these people are living in the lap of luxury, and he's writing to encourage them. There's no undermining tone here. There's no cynicism, but he comes to them and he says, listen, this is all by grace. This is all by grace. And the only way that you can be here is by grace. See, I think that, and by the way, I don't think Paul is just being naive. Paul is well aware because he's going to address these things. I also don't think that Paul just has this idea that, you know, the solution is just, well, I can change you if I'm just nice. If I just kind of avoid what's going on here. Paul's not naive. He looks reality right in the face. But Paul doesn't just see the reality of their sin, their brokenness, their messiness. Paul also sees a truer reality when he looks at them. Paul sees a truer reality when he looks at those around him who claim the name of Christ. And that is found in verse 6. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Where does Paul's confidence come from? Not in his ability to change them, not just in, well, I think you Philippians, you know better, so you'll get your act together, or your circumstances may change, so it may get a little bit better. He doesn't go to any of that. Paul says, the reason why I have confidence is that you've been rooted in the grace of Christ, and because you're rooted in the grace of Christ, God will complete the work. In other words, he sees them, he puts, when he looks at them, he puts on these lenses, almost like just puts on lenses to look at them whenever he looks at them, and it's grace. He says, I choose when I see you not to run immediately to all the things that Paul will go on to address, 
But he says we cannot go on to address those things till we remember the foundation of where healing and growth begins, which is that you are in Jesus Christ. Then we can begin to address those things. The reason why this is important to be a colony of heaven where grace is found is not only because we need it in our own lives, but also because I believe that what is happening culturally right now is going to create a massive amount of refugees running from this, whatever you want to call it, cultural moment, cultural revolution, whatever it is, from all sides. And here's the one thing they're all going to have in common, even though they don't share the same ideology, is they're going to be so racked with guilt and shame, and they're not going to find anywhere else where they can find grace. And we, as the church, need to be aware because of this, that what's out there, the colony of Rome, the structures around us, it is an echo chamber of guilt. It's an echo chamber of shaming because there is no salvation found there. And because of this, there's just the shaming and shaming and shaming and just casting people out. Oh, you failed my metric, my standard of righteousness. You're out. And it would be so easy for us as a church to begin to put on those same lenses of judgment and condemnation instead of the lenses of grace, to put on the lenses we receive by the colony of Rome around us and to come into this place and begin to look at one another through those lenses first. I think there are many dynamics of what's going on here. The human heart is always going to want to bypass God's road to grace and find its own. To find its own road to self-justification, to find its own road to the sense of righteousness. And I think right now we're seeing it on a massive scale. And we easily will buy into it as the church, but here's the thing. It will not atone for your sins to judge other people. It will not atone for your sins or make you feel righteous or actually give you a true, lasting, satisfying sense of righteousness to scapegoat your sins within the other party or the other ideology. What God is calling us to as a church is to be a place that is unique. This is going to get that aspect of this, I know for sure will get worse. Because there is less and less of a place where there is any grace to be found. And what Paul is saying, what I'm saying to you is, do you see that right now, the one thing that we know is that in the midst of this, the church is called to be a colony of heaven, to be a place where when everyone's running around, burning one another down, condemning one another, that there's a place just like my neighbor who opens their door and says, here's a key, come in. And when you come in, I'm going to receive you with open arms as I was received by a Savior who, by the way, his standard of righteousness is way higher than yours. You want judgment? Look to his. But his judgment, you will have to pass through as well. 
but then you receive grace and mercy, and it will change your life. There is no other place in our world. So church, right now, don't lose sight of cultivating grace, welcoming one another with grace, because I guarantee it's going to become such a powerful reality. Grace is what makes us indivisible. Grace is what makes us just. Grace is what makes us hunger and thirst for righteousness. Grace is what makes us humble and merciful. Grace is what makes us do justice. It is God getting a hold of our heart, filling it with his love and his grace, and then, then, that brings healing, not condemnation. And I think this moment, God is going to use it in powerful ways to humble each and every one of us. I know I feel it, where God is going to humble us because we're going to need to receive grace just as much as we're going to need to give and extend grace. But if we are willing to do that, God will do a work in our heart that none of us could fathom. And he's going to make us look more like Christ. We're going to put Christ on display in both receiving and extending grace. And that is something that we so desperately, whether or not we realize it, yearn for it, and so does the world around us. So to be a colony of heaven is first, to be a, a place where joy is found, then where grace is found, lastly, where love is found. All ends is opening to the letter with a prayer. Look at verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus, or Paul says that if you live in Christ, you'll put him on display. In other words, what, what he's saying here is, if the love of God has been poured out in you, if you realize I am completely undeserving of this reality, this grace I've been given, this freedom I've been given, this life with God eternally that begins now and I have forever, I've been given these things. And when that love is poured into you, he says it has no other, it will do nothing but overflow to those around you because you're not filled with bitterness and self-righteousness and trying to just wondering what's going to happen tomorrow and always focused on yourself, but you, you're focused on Christ and you're focused on joy and you're focused on others. He says, so that love will abound more and more. Not a flimsy kind of love, you know, just being nice to other people, but a gritty Love rooted in conviction. He says it's with knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done. Discerning what is excellent. Don't we all need a little discernment these days, right? Well, one, by the way, Paul says pray for it. He prays for it. By the way, none of these are things that they just get up and they're like, well, today I'm going to check off discernment off my list, right? Paul's praying for them for this. We need God's spirit to do these things. We should feel overwhelmed in times like today. We are, for the first time in human history, we have the God-eye view of the entire world through social media. We always thought we wanted it. Now we have it. And then we're all like, oh, that's why the only solution was a flood until Jesus, right? Because it's overwhelming, and now we have this view. And so God says, of all things, it shouldn't make you want to make pronouncements through social media like God, but it should make you be humbled and come to me and realize that I'm the one. I'm the one. And so discerning, so that with the result that your life will be invested in the things that matter until Christ returns. See, a point of being a colony of heaven, again, is not escapism. Fueled by fear. 
Not saying that we as a church become this kind of counterculture where we like live off somewhere wearing all denim suits or something and we just, that's, we never come out, right? We live off on our own grid or something. Not saying that. But also, it doesn't mean that we're fueled by anger, acting impulsively. But to be fueled by the love of Christ that has been poured out into us. To do mercy and justice, walk humbly. Because we'll see in the next few weeks, Jesus, as in this series, kind of the outlines, we're going to look in these next few weeks at the worth of Jesus. Then we're going to look at the work of Jesus, what he's done, and the work that we join in, and then the way of Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? That's the outline for the series. And we're just going to see just in the next few verses, or uh, passages here, weeks, we're going to see that because the love of Christ has been poured into us, we have a freedom worth being imprisoned for. That we have a unity worth sacrificing for. That we have a life so meaningful, it's worth dying for. See, we offer, and Christ offers us, something Rome never could. He offers us life. He offers us freedom. He offers us meaning. He offers us joy and grace and love that is otherworldly. And we, he says, are to be a colony of heaven that puts that on display, no matter how the nations rage. Because it's a reality that while the nations teeter and totter and rage, his grace and his love is steadfast and he is immovable. Anthem, this, if you want to change the world and whatever is going on right now, and I think we all feel like we need to respond, but then it's like, what do we do? It starts here and it starts in your homes and it starts in your hearts. That's where it begins. In an age of polarization like this, we have to draw near to one another. In an age of division, we have to decide to remain united, first and foremost, in Christ. Then all the dialogue comes after that. In an age when many feel unheard and silenced, we need to listen and draw near and have conversations. See, one of the things that in the midst of this age, Stan and I, Stan's the lead pastor, Bantham, and we were actually talking Wednesday morning we were talking about what, what really does it feel like the church needs right now? And uh, we were talking about it was like just that time when you connect with one another, when, when you actually come into one another's lives, when you welcome one another in, that picture of a home that welcomes in, that I experienced, it's such a simple thing, but it's exactly what we need right now. And so one of the things we were talking about was we need this season, needs to be a season where we as a church are a church, and I know this doesn't, you're like, well, that doesn't sound very profound. It's not profound. Jesus does, he's the one who's profound. And then he asks us to do really simple things with intentionality. And if we do things with intentionality, fueled by his love, that's how we see the world. We bring healing. We bring change. And so what Jesus, what he calls us to, he does with his disciples, to have meals with one another. And so legitimately, what I'm asking you to do over the next few weeks is I'm asking you with your roommates, your spouse, your whoever, whoever you live with, plan on, be intentional. Every week, have dinner, have lunch, do a meal with another family, with another couple, with another individual, whatever it is, in this body. To move towards one another. 
See, one of the, again, one of the things that we have to do is instead of, of just constantly consuming media and consuming all these things, instead, it's probably better just to consume food with one another, right? That's better just to get together. That, and in fact, love covers over all sin, and you might as well just do that with the meal because it ta- makes it taste even better, right? And I, I know that this sounds like, well, that sounds, how did we get there? Well, how we got there is just, it's a simple way to actually move towards one another. Because right now, the thing you're going to hear again and again and again and again from every vantage point are all the categories, Marxist, insurrectionist, left, right, oppressed, privileged. That's, those are the categories. And Jesus is saying, you are a colony of heaven because there are two categories. Do not get confused. Two categories for all of mankind, in Christ or in Adam, not in Christ. And he says, church, that is first and foremost the reality because if you're not in Christ, then how could you have joy? How could you have freedom? How could you have the things that I provide? And you're not going to find it there. So church, don't get distracted. It doesn't mean you don't take part in whatever your convictions, where God leads in your convictions to, to engage in what's going on. But at the same time, you have to start there. And if you start there, God's going to use that like kind of like this thing to hold you back so you don't go too far into the extremes. And one of the ways to do that and anchor our soul in that is the practice, the habit of just having meals with one another because it forces you to sit down with real people, not avatars, and have real conversations, listen, and, and then also talk about what it looks like to follow Christ in the midst of this, to be intentional. And I would say, and that merges into the second thing I would say here is just, and this is all in closing, I would say, be praying for our nation. Don't just, just debate our nation. Pray for it. One of the things that was extremely convicting this week was an atheist had to say this. And he said, you know, in American religion now, where people really believe, you can tell because they pray to that. And he said where American religion right now is, and even Christians, is that what they really believe is where their help is found is by praying. Instead of going to God, they go to social media to pray to the culture around them. They lament to the culture around them. They cry out to the culture around them. And I think in this time, we have to, again, get hold of our souls and say soul and kind of take our soul's eyes, point it to God, and do that through prayer. That instead of always just going to social media or whatever it is and and saying, my help comes from here, from social affirmation, from from regaining my sense of moral superiority by putting out there my thoughts and shaming someone else. And so now I've knocked them down a peg. Now I feel better about myself. Now I'm righteous. That might have hit too close to home, but it's exactly what we're doing. And what he says is, come to me. Find your life in me. Find your help in me. Find your joy in me. Do that first. And so prayer for our nation, go to God. God's calling us, Anthem, we can be a colony of heaven. In the midst of just like when I said before, Carol's home was a mess, our home's going to have a mess. When people come to your home, the meals might not be that great. That's okay. It really is okay. We're not trying to be a utopia. In fact, you try to claim that you're the one building God's kingdom. Usually the problem with most churches that become abusive is that they claim that they're going to be awesome. They try to build something and command people and control people. Instead, we're called to follow Christ. And when we follow Christ, we'll see that we will become a colony of heaven. 
that we don't control and build heaven here as some utopia that's just made in our image, but instead we are to follow Christ. And when we do so, we will be a colony of heaven, a foretaste of heaven. This world is too perilous and the gospel is too glorious for anything less. And if we do, in the midst of a world that is completely on fire as the storm rages, as the nation is divided and the fighting is happening around us, what we'll find is that both ourselves and those we invite in, when they come into the midst of this, we will all say, it feels a little, tastes a little like heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you Lord, that in the midst of everything that's going on, Lord, it's, it's moving ground. And Lord, it makes us realize how much our feet are firmly planted on it. And Lord, obviously, we're at this place. And Lord, we want to engage well. We don't want to just pull out. But, but Lord, give us the wisdom for that. And Lord, because each and every one of us is going to be called to engage in small ways to big ways in different ways, Lord, would you point us in the way we should go. Lord, I pray that in the midst of this, that you would anchor us in Christ. That as the ground is moving, we would see more and more the need to be rooted in Christ. Lord, help us to see where that is at, that in the midst of this, where we're falling over because the ground is moving so fast and we're filled with rage and we have all these things, Lord, help that to be the time when you practically show us what it means to turn to you, to find our identity in you find our sense of self in you. Lord, we thank you that we have a king whose kingdom has no end. That we have a king who is faithful. That we have a king who we know leveraged all of his rights and privileges and his glory and power, not for his own ends or his own good, his own comfort, but to save us. And so, Lord, make us look like Christ. Make us a colony of heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.